Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in your Bible. You know, last week, last Sunday evening, we kind of started this short sermon series on Sunday nights, man. We're dealing with grace and truth, grace and truth, because we need uh, both of those things. I was, I researched this on the World Wide Web for you guys tonight. One of the most exclusive clubs in the world, let me get it right, is Richmond's International Millionaire Club. Richmond's International Millionaires Club. And if you're blessed enough to be awarded a membership in this club, this VIP admission, it gives you access to most exclusive yacht clubs, uh, jockey clubs, country clubs, golf clubs, ski resorts, hotels, and restaurants around the world. It gives you a global concierge, 24-hour-a-day problem-solving apparatus and service, and it'll even give you a $1 million credit line anytime, anywhere that you might need it. It's a real thing. Google it. Their website doesn't even look that good. You know why? Right? Because regular people like us aren't even looking for it. Does that make sense? I mean, it's amazing. Uh, now, there are only 100 charter corporate platinum memberships. So if you're a corporation, you can purchase 10 of, of these, uh, the platinum memberships. 10 are available. I think it costs you, I don't know, $10 million to purchase one of these, right, uh, uh, for one of your people. And it's an incredible, the benefits are amazing, but it's absolutely exclusive. Matter of fact, it sounds like something that people wouldn't even buy, but those 100 charter corporate platinum memberships, they're none available right now. If you even wanted one, you would have to get on a waiting list. Man, it's exclusive. It is VIP access only. Now, back in the days of Jesus, there was also this exclusive group, this exclusive get-together, and there's this group of men called the Pharisees, the Pharisees. And so it was kind of a big deal to be invited to dine uh, with uh, one of these Pharisees, part of the in crowd. And we're going to look at a party that a Pharisee threw one time that threw Jesus to be ended up being one of the biggest pictures of grace that we have in the Bible. And we're going to see Jesus for who he is. Again, we've calling this little series the right tension, right? Because we want to hold the right tension between grace and truth, grace and truth. There's an imbalance in many churches uh, around our country. Some churches, they're all grace, but they never get to the truth. And some are all truth, and they never get to the grace, right? They're all truth. They, they preach on hell, and they sound like they're glad you're going. We want grace and truth. We want to hold both of them. We want to be like Christ. I want our church to be balanced. I want to be balanced as a person. So today, uh, tonight, we're going to focus on Jesus being full of grace. By the way, did you know Jesus never said the word grace? Not even once. He lived a life that exemplified it, but he never said grace. He just oozed it out. Matter of fact, Jesus never even said, I love you. I love you. He never said it, but his life no doubt showed that he did love people. He proved his love for the world. Uh, look at in your Bible at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's take a look at this party, this Pharisee party. Anybody want to go to a Pharisee party? It says that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with them, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Again, a party hosted by a Pharisee, man. You know that was good. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Right? A Pharisee party? 
But I bet the guest list was impressive, right? The most important men of the synagogue would be there. Simon, one of the leading Pharisees, is the guy throwing the show, uh, putting the show together. He's got Jesus there as his headliner, and everybody wants a ticket to see this young Galilean named Jesus that everybody's talking about. He's got the largest Twitter following, the largest Instagram following overnight in the whole country. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds are mobbing him. People would sit at his feet for hours just to listen to him talk. And this Jesus is coming to a party being thrown by the Pharisees. Now, what we're going to see tonight is that uh, what we see here in this story shows us exactly what the grace of God looks like. So we're going to talk about a couple of things here. Take some notes tonight. Number one, write this down. We're going to talk about our grace encounters us in our sin. Grace encounters us in our sin. Now, again, this party's going good, and everybody seems to be having good, a good time. Jesus is relaxed. Everybody's reclined back. That's how they would have been back in that day. And all of a sudden, all the talking stops. You could have heard a pin drop, and someone walks in the door in this super awkward moment. It doesn't matter if it's 2,000 years ago or 2019. This is awkward. Look at it in verse 37. It says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now here's this room full of religious leaders and church people and keepers of self-righteousness. And because this woman, not just any woman, the kind of woman to make your chin drop down, Right? Because literally it says she was a sinner. What the Bible is telling you here is that she's a prostitute. This woman is a streetwalker. She's a woman of the night. She's from the wrong side of the tracks any way that you can measure. She's in the lowest of the low social and, and moral category of the day. To be in the trifecta, you need to be a tax collector, a prostitute, or a shepherd. Nobody liked shepherds back then. Right? You may have been corrupt and carnal but, I mean, she may have been corrupt or carnal. She may have been a prostitute. She may have been all of those things, but she wasn't a coward because she bust up into this Pharisee party. And she wasn't ashamed. She's walking into a lion's den of people who are 180 degrees different than she is. And they're ready to eat her alive. There's no doubt about it, except for Jesus. Right? Everything in that culture would have taught her that she shouldn't have been there, that she shouldn't have gone there, especially in the presence of a holy man like Jesus. No, 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 no. Especially in the presence of a holy man like Simon. Like Simon, a self-righteous Pharisee, right? Nobody had to tell her what she was. She knew what she was. In our text, we're given an obvious assumption here that she had been with Jesus before, that this is not the first time she's encountered Jesus. She had listened to Jesus before. She had watched Jesus before. And evidently, uh, what he said and what he did had changed her life, right? The first time she ever heard Jesus speak, she heard words that she had never heard before. And though he didn't say the word, what this woman heard is grace, man. When Jesus walked by, she smelled grace. When he spoke, she heard grace. When she saw Jesus, she saw, she saw grace. Everything and everybody else in that room, their whole attitude, their body position, and the look on their face says, you're not welcome, except for Jesus. Jesus. He didn't look at her with lust. He looked at her with love, man. He didn't look at her thinking about her guilt. He looked at her with grace. Now, what happens next is wild. Again, it's just wild. She is weeping uncontrollably. Un uncontrollably. Do you, anybody like to be around people when they're weeping uncontrollably? Especially if you don't know why. 
Like, what's going on, right? She has a river of tears and her falling on the feet of Jesus. She undoes her hair and she washes his feet with her hair. Again, guys, 2,000 years ago, 2019, that ain't normal. It's just not. It's not like this custom. We have this custom. We wash people's feet with our hair. It's not the case. And here she's doing it. And then she begins to kiss his feet. And she pours this alabaster of uh, perfume on his feet. Again, can you say awkward? Like, and you just think the handshake hug situation is awkward. You ever go to shake someone's hand, but they're hugging? Especially if you don't really want to hug them. Right? You, you go, they're going in for the hug, and you're like this. And they just go through your defenses, and they get you. Amen? Amen. I've known some creepy men in churches. Hug everybody, even when they don't want to be hugged. You need to find somewhere else to be creepy, man. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Have you ever known a man in church life? I've been in, uh, in church a long time over the years, and almost always there's at least one man. Well, I just hug everybody. Well, you need to shut it down. Everybody don't want your creepy arms around them. Can I get an amen? I expected to hear the women on that one. But it's true. Isn't it true? You go for the handshake. Whoa, I'm hugging. Or if you, or is the opposite is true too. Like if, if we, with good intentions, you go for the hug and they give you the, and you're like, uh. it's awkward. But here this woman is in this awkward situation. She's throwing all caution to the wind, caring no more about what people had to say. She didn't care what people were going to say about her or think about her or how they were going to look at her. You got to understand in those days, a woman always wore her hair up in public. That was normal, right? For a woman to wear her hair down, to take her hair down in front of a man that was not her husband was grounds for her husband to divorce her. That's how intimate of an act it was. There's places in the world right now, the Middle East, where a woman is not allowed to go around in public with her hair down, even more so then. And this prostitute dared to touch Jesus and kiss his feet. The cultural standards of that day would have been, you don't touch me, right? And stop kissing my feet, weirdo. Amen? I'm telling you, it's not normal. Don't look at this and think, oh, that's just what they did. This woman is just absolutely, she does not care what anyone's thinking at this moment. The cultural standards of that day would have expected Jesus to be embarrassed, to recoil away from this woman, and to give her at least minimum a good scolding. How dare you touch me, you sinful woman. But her act of love is met with his act of grace. Now, Simon, though, Simon the Pharisee, the guy that's throwing the party, he has seen enough, he has heard enough, and he has had enough. Look at verse number 39. Here comes Simon. says, man, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, if, you know, this Jesus, if he was really a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner. <laughs> Jesus knew who she was. Jesus knew what he was thinking. He knew exactly what kind of woman this was. He knew what kind of sinner this woman was. What's tragic about this is Simon didn't realize the problem. Look at this slide. The problem wasn't that she was a sinner and Jesus didn't know it. The problem is that Simon's a sinner and he didn't know it. That's the problem. Simon didn't see himself. Why do we think that sin disqualifies us from grace? The only thing that qualifies you for grace is sin. The only people that qualify for grace are sinners. 
right? Jesus said, I came to call the, the, the unrighteous, not the righteous. Why? Because the righteous don't think they need it. The only thing that puts us in the category of receiving grace is acknowledging our sin. You don't give up your sin and then receive God's grace, man. You receive the grace of God, and then you have the power to give up your sin. As a matter of fact, number two, write this down. Grace saves us from our sin. Again, we don't clean up and then come to Jesus. We come to Christ. He cleans us up. He starts from the inside out. And we've been doing it on our own. New Year's resolutions, I'm going to do better. And like I say this all the time, we don't only break promises, we break promises to ourselves. I'm going to do better and I won't do that again. And da, da, da. We need Christ and we need his grace. Our, his grace saves us from our sins. Now listen to this indictment of Simon. I love it. Verse 44. Jesus, uh, he, Jesus tells a story. We'll get back to that in a moment. But he, and down in verse 44, he says this. He said, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now, to understand just how much Simon is being called on the carpet right now, we got to go back to the culture of the day and really understand what's going on here. Now, in the Middle East, hospitality was a big deal. They knew what Southern hospitality was before the South even existed, right? And there's this tension in this room already. Before this woman shows up, I believe there's this tension in this room uh, that you could cut with a knife. Not because of something that happened, but because of the things that didn't happen. When Jesus entered the house all of the traditional courtesies that any guest should expect, especially as the guest of honor, were absolutely absent. None of them happened. The customary greeting in the Middle East during that time would have been to kiss each other on each cheek, to greet each other with a kiss on one or both cheeks. Now, to refuse to kiss somebody on the cheek when they're coming to your party is essentially ignoring them, right? Then the guests, would they be seated on these stools around this uh, U-shaped couch, right? And before the meal was eaten, the hands and feet of the guests would be washed. It, they would use a mixture of water and olive oil. You'd wash your hands and they would clean your feet. That was to honor your guests. If the person hosting the party didn't do it himself, he would have a servant to do it. That's what you would do in that day. It had to be done before you ate the meal because if you didn't do it before you ate the meal, you were considered unclean. Like, not just like you were unclean, right? Not just physically, but like spiritually unclean to partake in the meal. You're unclean. So there had been no washing of feet or washing of hands. There was no kissing of the face. So Jesus here in this picture is being treated rudely. He had every right to get angry and to flip the table and tell everybody off and to storm out of the room. But here's the irony. When Jesus was being shown no grace, that's when he was full of it. Full of grace. He gave them all grace. Now, look, let's go back to the woman, the woman crying. She's crying for two reasons. I believe two reasons. One reason is she realized that she was a sinner and not even worthy to be in the room with Jesus. The second reason is she realized all of them people were sinners and they're not even worthy to be in the room with Jesus. And they're humiliating him and they're rejecting him and they are mocking him. I believe this woman was first crying the gladness of what Christ had done in her life, but she's also crying tears of sadness for how Jesus, her Lord and Savior, was being treated. 
And so Jesus did something else that's really shocking when you think about it. And I don't want you to miss the irony of this, of what's going on. Now remember, Simon is a Pharisee. Simon is a biblical scholar. Uh, a Pharisee would spend their life studying scriptures. By the time he was 12 years old, he had memorized the first 12 books of the uh, Old Testament. By the time he was 15, he memorized the entirety of what we call the Old Testament today. Memorized. Spent his life studying the scriptures about the Messiah who's to come. And now the Messiah who was to come has come is sitting across the table from him in his own house with unwashed feet, unwashed hands, and an unkissed cheek. The Messiah, the Savior of the world that Simon supposedly spent his entire life studying and reading about. The one who should have recognized Jesus didn't. And the one that shouldn't have recognized Jesus did do you know what the difference is? Simon wanted to put Jesus in his place. Who does this carpenter, this son of a carpenter, who does he think he is? This nobody from the backside of nowhere with all these people. He doesn't even have the right degrees. He didn't even go to the right school. He's not, a, he's not one of us. Simon wanted to put Jesus in his place. This woman, she wanted to put Jesus in, her, in his place, high and exalted. They both wanted to put Christ in his place, but it was completely different places. And Jesus says these words to Simon. Look at it in verse 47. He says to Simon, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Now notice what Jesus said. She didn't wash his feet. She didn't uh, wash his hands. She didn't, uh, she didn't kiss his feet or whatever, hoping to receive forgiveness. She did it because she had been forgiven. She'd been forgiven. She didn't know the word grace, but she'd experienced grace. And, and next, I love this. Look at verse 48. This is the mic drop for Jesus. Then he looks at her. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. A simple sentence, just a few words, but an eternal life changer. Words that a lowly, cheap street walking prostitute thought she would never hear but then she hears it from the only one that could say it and make it stick the only one that could back it up was the one she heard it from that's what grace does it doesn't just receive us in our sin but it literally rescues us from our sin and the consequences of our sin Whenever you hear those words, your sins are forgiven, man. That's grace. Number three, write this down. The third thing grace does is it frees us from our sin. It frees us from our sin. What I mean is this. Let's go back. I'll explain this to you in that little parable that Jesus told that we passed over. Now, poor Simon doesn't know what hit him. This stuck-up, arrogant Pharisee, right, that invited Jesus, right, so that he could put Jesus in his place. And now everything is turning on him. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Verse 41, there's a certain creditor, he tells this parable, who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly 
judge. Now, the story is simple. Two men owed a debt. One's man, one man's debt was 10 times greater than the other man, but neither one of these men could pay their debt at all. The man that owed a little or the man that owed a lot. And what Jesus is saying to Simon, he is saying to us, there are many people out there that might be 10 times the sinner that you are, but you can't pay your debt and they can't pay their debt either. It doesn't make any difference. The truth is, not only are we all sinners, we're all spiritually bankrupt completely. We owe a sin debt that we could never pay off. It doesn't matter if you're the pope or you're a pastor, if you're a prostitute or a pornographer. When it comes to sin, we're bankrupt, we're broke. And again, look at this next slide. She could see her sin, but Simon just could not see his. She knew how bad she was. When she looked in the mirror, she saw how bad she was. When Simon looked in the mirror, he saw how good he was. Completely different. Completely different. Look at this next slide. This is Randy Alcorn. He, he said it best. He said, the worst thing we can teach people is that they're good without Jesus. The fact is, God doesn't offer grace to good people any more than doctors offer life-saving surgery to healthy people. Never believe anything about yourself or God that makes his grace to you seem anything less than amazing because that is exactly what it is. It's one thing to think that you don't deserve grace and you don't. It's another thing to think that you don't need grace and you do. Two people at this party couldn't have been more different. Let me compare and contrast these two for just a moment. Look at this next slide. Everybody looked up to Simon, but everybody looked down on her. The next one, he was a respected church leader. She's a scorned streetwalker. He made a living teaching the law. She made a living breaking the law. He was respected. She was rejected. Listen, guys, they were both sinners who equally needed grace. Look at this next slide. It's only when you see your goodness is worthless that you can see that God's grace is priceless. They were both sinners. One of them walked out of there full of their own righteousness, and the other one walked out redeemed, saved, and forgiven. You'll never know how great a Savior Jesus is until we recognize how big our sin is. So what should we do? Now, we talked about in our last uh, Through the Bible sermon series how all of Jesus' sermons, whenever he preached, there's always a point of application, application. And so I want to give you guys some application tonight to take a moment and start to see some things, maybe see it differently the first one is this. Look at this next slide. See yourself the way you really are, just like everyone else, a sinner in need of grace. I'm not talking about self-hate and having a low self-esteem, but just recognize that our imperfections and our unrighteousness, that if we were so good, Jesus never would have needed to save us. Recognize that you're just like everybody else, a sinner that needed grace. Look at the next one. See other people the way they are, just sinners in need of grace. Sinners in need of grace. And then finally, look at this next one. See Jesus the way he is, always full of grace that we all fully need, everyone. Now listen to how this story concludes in verse 49. It says, and those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, by the way, you ever notice that when Jesus was at a dinner party or Jesus was around a group of Pharisees or Sadducees, they always talk, start talking amongst themselves? Those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Who does he think he is? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Ooh, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Jesus made it clear that both lawmakers and lawbreakers are equally in need of grace and forgiveness. And the only way to be saved, man, is by excuse me, by faith. It doesn't matter on the political spectrum if you're liberal, conservative. It doesn't matter a straight person, a gay person, somebody who's married or somebody who's shacking up, an alcoholic or a teetotaler, somebody who thinks they're righteous or they're unrighteous, good, bad, religious, or not indifferent. We all need grace. That's the only thing, man, that can redeem us and save us and pull us out of our sin. And when we have that grace, he empowers us to live in a way that will honor him. Sometimes we're disappointed by how the world acts, right? Well, they act like sinners in need of grace. That's what they need. Jesus is the answer. You know, we're never told this lady's name, by the way. Now, theologians have their ideas and their thoughts. I don't know what her name was before she met Jesus. I got a feeling what, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call this lady. I'm going to call her Grace. Grace. Right, what a wonderful picture of grace that we have in this story. Let me tell you something about this woman. She might have, when she met Jesus, she walked in the room a street-walking prostitute. But when she walked out, she walked out a child of the king, redeemed, forgiven, and saved. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for grace, or the truth of your grace, and that we're all sinners. And God, help us not to take your grace for granted, to feel like grace somehow gives us a license to sin or to live in rebellion. God, we know that you are long-suffering and patient. Lord, I thank you for your patience with us. Lord, that you gave us your grace when we didn't deserve it. You're a mighty, awesome, graceful God. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a believer, you're a Christian, and, and maybe somehow, some way along the, the path of life, you've somehow began to feel like not like this Pharisee, not your own righteousness per se, but you began leaning on your goodness and not the goodness of Christ. Guys, it's Christ that makes us good. It's only in him, his strength, his power. And maybe tonight you need to pray and say, God, help me to lean into you. You've given me access to the VIP room. Lord, help me to depend upon your power, your righteousness, not me, not myself. Maybe you need to say this, you're a church person. Obviously, you're here on a Sunday night. God, never let me be like the Pharisee. Always help me to be like Christ. Truth and grace. But maybe you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't seen your need. The fact that you need Jesus, man. The reality is, is that if you leave here tonight apart from Christ, you've never come to him for forgiveness, and that's exactly how you're leave, living, leaving, unforgiven, sinful, condemned. You will be judged. Why don't you trust Christ, the same Christ that this woman in the Bible trusted, to save you? He won't reject you. He's not looking at your sin. He's looking at you, and he loves you. So why don't you pray a prayer like this? Go to your heavenly Father and say, Father God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Tell him, Lord, I repent. That, that word repent means I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, by faith, just like that woman in the Bible, by faith I receive you as my Lord and Savior. 
your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you just prayed that prayer. You're sincere and honest with God. You just got saved. He's given you the Holy Spirit power in your life. And now you can be like Jesus and not like the Pharisee. I want to encourage you to make that public. Maybe you've prayed at some other point. Maybe you need to come tonight and get your baptism on the right side of your salvation. You know that you've been saved, but you've not followed through in baptism. There are others that are going to be baptized next Sunday. You can come tonight and you can join them in active obedience. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church home. God has confirmed it. Come make it official. Whatever God is calling you do, to do tonight, however God is calling you to move during this invitation, take advantage of this invitation, this opportunity to go into the very throne room of God and hear from your Lord. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee.